Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 152, How to Bring Simple Rhythms of Grace into Your Home, an interview with John White. Your heart matters. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. In this week's episode of the Engaging Missions Show, we're going to talk about how two simple questions can bring rhythms of grace into your home, how strengthening families and deepening community strengthens the body of Christ, how simplicity makes it easier to bring new people in, and about finding out what God is already doing and looking for ways to join into that. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff, and there are going to be some resources mentioned. You'll want to check those out in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash John White. And with that, we're going to get right into this week's episode. All right, let's get started. Today we have with us John White. This is a huge privilege to me, partly because he and I have never met personally, but also because when I was talking with Tony Daniels several, well, several weeks ago now, John White was one of the people that had poured into her lives and she suggested that we connect. This is, for me, this is a huge privilege. John is the director of Luke 10 Communities. He was a pastor at a local church for about 25 years or so, and then he started participating in and investing in the house church movement worldwide about 18 years ago. He's trained thousands of people across multiple countries. And then about 10 years ago, wow, I can't get these numbers right. About eight years ago, he founded Luke 10 Communities. So John, this is a huge privilege. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Great to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity. So as I think about trying to connect people with you, because that's a that's a whole lot for people to digest in like 45 seconds. I've basically summed up 40 years of life. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your family and your ministry? Sure, you bet. Family first. Um, I'm married to uh, Pamela. We've been married for 26 years and have uh, two kids and three grandkids. So uh, that's a great delight to have uh, have grandchildren. Um, I I met the Lord when I was in high school back in the East Coast and um, went to college uh, and then seminary, Fuller Seminary. Excuse me. After Fuller, I was called to a church, Presbyterian church, here in Denver, and I served in uh, three different churches over the next 25 years. Uh, It was about 18 years ago that the Lord moved us out of what I would call institutional church or traditional church into the house church world. 
And at the time, uh, we really had no idea what we were doing. I mean, I'd been prepared to be a pastor in a traditional church, and house church was pretty foreign to me. So we kind of learned by trial and error, made lots of mistakes. At the time, 18 years ago, there was very little going on in the U.S. Uh, having to do with house church, so there weren't a lot of resources. Um, over these 18 years, uh, it's pretty remarkable that uh, the whole house church movement has really grown in the U.S. Um, some estimates, I think it's George Barna and some others, have estimated that the people in house churches are probably the second largest group of Christians uh, in the U.S. now, behind the Southern Baptist or something like that. So it's very exciting to be a part of something that's growing like that. Wow. Now, it's interesting to me that God called you to pastor a traditional church, and then, you know, 20-some-odd years later, then God led you to a different different thing. I suspect there's a story there. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit about how God moved you from one to the next? Sure, you bet. So as I said, I was, I was a pastor in several different churches, and, and I had probably every different kind of pastoral role you could have, from youth minister to um, being in charge of small groups, men's ministry. I planted a church in there, was a senior pastor. But what I, what I recognized in my heart over those 25 years was that little by little, I was becoming kind of disenchanted with institutional church. I mean, I was, I was on the inside, I was, you know, pastor, elder, all those things, but the, the level of administration that was required to pull off the Sunday morning service and all the different programs, politics, to be honest, I think a lot of people are shocked to find out how much uh, politics are going on in the context of a local church. And I, I was finding myself becoming kind of disillusioned um, by church. At the same time, I was beginning to hear about what God was doing in China. You know, in the last, I don't know, 70 years, there's been this amazing house church movement in China. Some estimates are that there may be as many as 100 million Christians in China today, and the great majority of them are in house churches. I, I'd never heard of house church back then, but I was fascinated with that and began to study that. That drove me back to my New Testament, and I began to reread Scripture through different eyes. Up until then, if somebody had said the word church, I immediately thought about the church where I met the Lord when I was 15 years old. And it was a beautiful red brick building, pillars, you know, pews, stained glass windows, and all the rest. It dawned on me one day. I mean, it was like a, an epiphany, I guess, that if you said the word church or ecclesia to Paul or Peter or those guys, they had a very different picture of church. Mm-hmm. For them, church was a small group of people meeting in somebody's living room. And that, that was just a huge insight for me. And that was part of what the Lord used to begin to move us into the house church world. As I was looking at your website, one thing kind of stood out to me, and I, tr- truthfully, I don't have a lot of understanding of this, and so that's part of why I'm asking. You mentioned that there was a difference in the way that the Jews of the time would have understand the role of the family and the role of the synagogue in spiritual life. Can you maybe share a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, a wonderful resource, a great book, is uh, Our Father Abraham, The Jewish Roots of the Christian Faith. And it's, it's just a, it's a wonderful book to help us understand. I mean, you know, the fact is, we all, we all know this, that Jesus was Jewish, mm-hmm. and all his disciples were Jewish. And for the first 40 years 
of the church, it did not function as a separate religion. So between the time that Jesus died and about 70 AD, Christianity was really a subset of Judaism. It wasn't until the first Jewish revolt, which was like 66 AD to 72, that that Judaism and Christianity began to go separate ways. Hmm. So understanding um, Jewish culture in the first century was very, very important. So in that book, Our Father Abraham by Marvin Wilson, um, he makes the point that uh, in Jewish culture, the home and not the synagogue was the center of spirituality. The synagogue was a great support, but it was in the home that they studied Torah. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 talks about that. Every Friday night, they, they, they uh, entered into the, the Sabbath with a Shabbat meal on Friday. That took place in the home. Passover was celebrated in the home. And I began to realize as I studied that, that that's probably where the first house churches originated. It wasn't like Jesus came up with this whole new idea of church, but the Jews already really had the idea of the home as the center of spirituality. So that's one of the values that we want to begin to reintroduce to people. Reality is for most American Christians, when they go to church on Sunday, first of all, they go to church at some special building, not in their own home. And when they go, often the family is split up. So the junior high kids go over there and with the nursery over here and, you know, mom and dad go over here. But again, in the biblical Jewish culture, family was the center point of all of that. And one last comment there, as we studied the Chinese house church movement, they've, they've kind of incorporated the same idea. They have a motto that says, every home a church, and every church building a training center. And I've often thought that if we wanted to see a spiritual revolution take place in the United States, if that one idea um, could begin to be implemented in every the home of every Christian, it would change everything. If every Christian began to understand that their own home is the first and most foundational expression of church, I think the implications would be amazing. That, that's really powerful. And if you don't mind, I'd like to maybe put a little bit more flesh on that, if for nothing else, maybe a little bit more of my understanding, because it sounds like the, the home being the spiritual, the, the center is, is a good thing. But then there's also this training. How, how does that work? The, the way that we train people for house church? Yeah. And again, the house church movement in the U.S. is very diverse. So there are many different streams, and, and they all have their own uniqueness, and, and I think God is in all of those. So I can just talk about the particular things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Early on in the process, we begin to ask the Lord two questions. The first one is, how can we do church in such a way that lives are really changed, where there's deep personal transformation? We don't want to just go to meetings. How, how can we do church in a way that, that transformation really occurs? That was the first thing. The second thing was, Lord, how can we do church in such a way that viral multiplication could occur? This, we had this idea of, sort of, a, of church being like a benevolent virus that was spread from person to person to person to person. I think that's what happened in, in the, the early church. They, they didn't have some great structure for church planting. It was very organic, it was natural, it was spontaneous. And so, Lord, how can we do church in such a way that it could spread like that, and you wouldn't need some huge bureaucracy or, or program to do that? So as we're asking the Lord those questions, 
and over a period of time, it began to show us two things. And we've, we've come to call these rhythms of attention. Mm. That it's, our, it's what we pay attention to, that our, our attention is one of the most important resources that we have. And in you know, modern culture, that's often robbed from us because we're distracted by TV and soccer games and a thousand other things. But, but that's still such a key thing. So the first thing that we felt the Lord was saying that we needed to pay attention to was our hearts. So my heart and your heart. So that when we gather together in church, and again, we're thinking house church here, the first thing that we teach people to do is what we call checking in. And we, we have a little acronym called SACHET. That's funny spelling. S-A-S-H-E-T. These stand for the six primary emotions. Bad, angry, scared, happy, excited, tender. So when we check in with each other, we encourage people to pick one of those or two of those, however many you want to. And we say, I'm checking in today as, maybe I'm happy and I'm scared. Hmm. And here's why. And then we say, I'm in. We go around the circle with people that are in the house church there, and everybody checks in. We have found this to be the best tool we've ever found for deepening community. So we do it every week. And the, the benefit is literally cumulative. A couple of other things that are cool about that. One is kids can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, every, every kid that's five years and older uh, learns this, and, and they are part of church. So they get to check in. The other thing is it's very reproducible. So once you've seen this once, you know enough that you can now go do that in your home, your house church, in any kind of a, any kind of a setting. It also makes it very easy for new people to feel a part of things. Because, again, once you understand it, you're on an even par with everybody else that's there. The message of that is your heart matters. The place we see this in Scripture, in, in Romans, in Romans 12, Paul says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And, and so this is a way to do that. How can I rejoice with you if I don't know what you're rejoicing about? How can I weep with you if I don't know that you're weeping? And so for me, for many years in institutional church, you, know, you show up on Sunday morning and you see people you know, and you say, how are you doing, brother? I'm fine. How are you? And so you never really know what's going on in that person's heart. Hmm. So we start with that. That's the first rhythm of attention. The second rhythm is we want to pay attention to God's heart. And so after we check in, and that could take as much as an hour, we want to create a safe environment for people. The next thing we do is I say to people to write down this question, these people. But Jesus, what do you want to say to our church today? Write that down. And then we just send people out for 15, 20 minutes, go in the backyard and go upstairs, Listen to the Lord about his answer to that question. What we're seeking to do is to take seriously this idea. Jesus is the head of the church. When I say that, I always have to say, no, really, Jesus is the head of the church. The implication is that he brings the agenda. So as we listen to the Lord about that question, come back together, and we invite people to begin to share, what did you hear? And out of that... We say church emerges. So people come back with passages of scripture, testimonies, things to pray for, mission projects, all kinds of things that the Lord tells them. Now, there's lots more we can teach about that, but those are the two simple rhythms that we teach people to do in order to do house church. 
Well, that's good. We're going to need to take a shift here in just a second and take a break. But before we do that, I wanted to know, has there been a, maybe a meaningful quote or a meaningful scripture in your life? You bet. Uh, I would pick John five nineteen. This is where Jesus says, I do nothing on my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. Wow. I think that one verse, more than any other verse, explains the life and ministry of Jesus. And it repeats it three other times in John. The reality is, I went to seminary to learn how to do something, to learn how to lead the church, and I did that for many years. And so it was a revelation for me to see that Jesus literally knew how to do nothing. And I literally had to learn how to do nothing in order to begin to, to see what the Father's doing. So that verse has been transformational in my life. Wow, that's good. With that, we are going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward the ministry. We've definitely touched on it so far, but we're going to go a little bit deeper. Hey, this is Jim from Doing Ministry Well. If you're enjoying the Engaging Missions podcast like I do, we'd be honored if you check out our show, too, at doingministrywell.com. That was Jim Baker of Doing Ministry Well. If you haven't already, I would recommend that you check out his podcast at doingministrywell.com. There's one other that I think that you might enjoy. That would be the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland. He's actually produced this for quite some time, and it used to be a segment on this show. I'm going to play just a short piece of this this week's uh, episode from that podcast. And if you're interested, visit engagingmissions.com slash leadership moment. That's engagingmissions.com slash leadership moment. If we find ourselves struggling to have relationships of depth, we might want to look back and see, are we self-centered? Jesus says, if we save our lives, interpret that as behave self-centrically, If we save our lives, we will lose them. We must grow into a place of personal maturity where we see others with as much value as we believe we have and be prepared in that place of maturity to put others before ourselves. All right, we are back with John White, and he's just shared a little bit of Scripture about how in in John, Jesus talks about that he didn't do anything except what he saw the Father doing. And John has shared a little bit about how in his life he's had to learn how to know nothing. So, so John, as we come back into this, would you maybe share a little bit more about how you learned to know nothing? <laughs> well, it was slowly, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, so uh, here's, a, here's a word that we, that's been important to us when we teach it to our folks. The word is prevenience. It rhymes with convenient. Mm-hmm. It's often associated with prevenient grace. Right. In that context, it means that the word literally means before, prevenient. And so it means that before I ever thought about becoming a Christian, God was the one who initiated in my life. Well, Eugene Peterson, uh, the guy that you know did the paraphrased version of the, the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, has a great chapter in one of his books about prevenience. And he says that it should be applied to all of ministry. So my job is not to show up in a situation, figure out what's going on, and and try to make something happen. That's really what I was trained to do in seminary and a lot of my early training, is the phrase, make it happen ministry. What Peterson says is that God is always at work ahead of time before we show up. And so my job is not to show up and make something happen. My job is to show up and find out what God is doing 
and how I can join him in that. And it was transformational for me, I can't tell you. But it was difficult to learn how to do it because I was so schooled in the other approach. I would say I went through, it probably took me 10 years of detox. I call it detoxing from program-oriented church. Um, before, I mean, it was, it was happening little by little, but it took a long time to get that old program orientation um, out of my brain and out of my heart. Okay, that's that's good. Now, as we take that a little bit further, one of the things that you had shared was uh, the idea of every home or every house a church. And I think that it, you've even gotten it to the level of, I think it was CO2, that wherever you have two people or more, that, that becomes a church. How do you begin building a church in that, that context? How do you help people start churches? You bet. Well, this, this idea of the CO2, Church of Two, was really part of what the Lord was teaching us along the way. He, he asked the question, he asked us the question, well, what's the smallest number of people you can have and still have church? And we would bat that around and we'd ask other people, and everybody came back to the same answer. He said, well, I guess two. Hmm. Didn't Jesus say whenever two or three are gathered in my name that I'm there? That that's probably what you go to church of two. And so we started thinking, what if we took that seriously? And we found that those two rhythms of attention that I mentioned before work really well in that context. And so a church of two can be made up of a husband and a wife. It can be two guys, two gals. We describe a CO2 as two people, um, two rhythms, connecting as close to daily as possible. Scripture says, um, Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily. But the reality is, that church meetings, whether it's an institutional church or a house church, generally are just once a week. How do we encourage one another daily? So we began starting these little CO2s, these little churches of two. We found that they were very easy to start. People began to learn the rhythms in that context, and we found that when we had a house church that was made up of multiple CO2s, it was very stronger because these people were encouraging one another all through the week. The other thing is that a CO2 can grow into a larger expression of church, house church, or whatever. So the way that we say it is the CO2 is the basic building block for all larger expressions of church. So that's what we focus on, starting those. House churches are really easy to start after that. So if we could maybe, and if I could be maybe a little bit selfish, could we make this really personal? I've, I have a family. I have a wife. We're, we're believers. If we wanted to step more into this kind of thing, how would you have us start? You bet. Well, you already, just based on what we've talked about, just about know enough to start. But we have created a, a little course, an online course called Church 101. It's four weeks. It's, it's very easy to do, and we just teach these same two rhythms. So the first thing that you and your wife could do is begin to have a time each day of checking in with each other, of just sitting down, and, and I'm checking in today as, and so you learn to pay attention to your own heart. What's going on inside of there? John Eldridge says that emotions are a window into our heart, mm. and I think that's right. And so sharing on that level, where we talk about emotions in a safe kind of an environment is a powerful way to connect. We've seen uh, marriages really deepened as a result of this. So that would be the first thing, is that you and your wife, and you can do this, you can do a check-in in you know, three or four or five minutes, or longer if you have time. It's very flexible. You can do it in person, you can do it on the phone, lots of different ways of doing it. And then the second thing that you and your wife could do would be to take a few minutes to listen to the Lord. 
often about what you've just shared. We're just going to spend five minutes. We're going to be quiet. Maybe journal some things if you can. And, and listen and see what the Lord wants to say to us about what we've shared or about anything else. And so we often say that the most important skill that we want to teach people beyond how to do inductive Bible study or how to play the guitar or all the typical things is how to hear God's voice. That is the single most important skill that any of us can learn. And so if we're doing a CO2, we get to practice that on a daily basis. So that'd be the place to start. And then I know you've got little kids. Amazing things happen as they watch you doing this. And even your older one might be ready to join in with you, maybe at dinner time, uh, on this kind of idea of check-in and listening to a word. Oh, that's that's good. And and just to kind of where I am right now, I'm actually in the middle of recording a series on involving children in ministry. And some of the questions I've been asking have been part of this because my heart is as best I can to to be the priest in our home and to, to bring things together. And frankly, doing devotions right now as a family hasn't really worked because of the age ranges and attention spans. So this is really intriguing to me. I'm, I'm being a little bit selfish, but I appreciate you indulging me. <laughs> We'll try it out and let us know what you learn. I'd love to hear. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate that. And one one thing I did want to mention for those who are listening, if you're interested in this Church 101 course, I'm going to make sure that that's linked up in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash John White, because I want that to be available for you in case you're interested. Now, John, one other thing that you had mentioned is that you connect and you equip leaders. Can you share a little bit more about what you do and how you do that? Sure. So we, we did, uh, we've done Church 101 for about four or five years, and, and we, we've just seen some amazing things happen. The two things that we're asking the Lord for, uh, transformation and, and viral multiplication, both of those have occurred. So we've probably, not me personally, but we've trained probably 3,000 people in 10 different countries. Mm. And they're just these, you know, prevenient kinds of things that God does, and we pay attention to that and, you know, Things happen from there. About a year ago, we realized, okay, we've got lots of people we've trained. What's next? And as we sought the Lord about that, we felt like he led us to a second course, which we call Leader 101. And this is a, this is a much more, it's 12 modules. Uh, we have actually three parts of this. One is the content, which is 12 modules on how to be a leader who really is leading based on prevenience, whole different way of leading from what I was taught in seminary. So content with community. So everybody that's in this course is part of a leader team. And you connect with those other people twice a month in some really cool way. So a lot more we could say about that. And then church planting is the third thing. So everybody is involved because church planting now becomes unbelievably easy. I planted one traditional church took me 18 months, almost killed me in the process. But now I tell people that if the Lord gives us what we call, what Jesus called, a person of peace or a house of peace, I can start a church in 30 minutes. It's really easy to do. So everybody's involved with the process of church planting. That's good. I apologize for the pause. As I'm thinking about this, you know, we've talked a lot about... Uh, the mechanics about how, and we've talked a little bit about why. Are there maybe any stories that you can share with us about what you've seen God do as you've made these shifts? Well, what, first of all, I'd say storytelling is a high value that we have. Uh-huh. And so on our website, you can sign up for Church 101. You can learn about Leader 101, but you also can sign up for our newsletter. And that's where we tell these stories about exactly what you were asking. 
I'll, I'll share one story with you. About two years ago, uh, we got an, in, uh, an email inquiry from a couple in Germany. These were Americans who'd gone there 30 years ago to plant churches. They planted one church in Germany, but they were so burnt out on the whole thing, they, they kind of gave it up after about seven years. Hmm. They did a Bible school, did different kinds of things. And uh, they heard about House Church and connected with us. I took them through Church 101. They said, this is amazing. It's helping our marriage. And they began to teach it to some of their German friends around. So they now started a German-speaking house church, because all of this stuff translates into another language. Well, the guy, his name was Bob, also has had an ongoing ministry in Uganda for about 15 years. So he was down there about two months ago. What did he do? Well, he taught him GO2, Church of Two, taught him how to check in. These are about 100 Ugandan pastors and then taught them how to listen to the Lord, which they kind of already knew how to do that, and just had some amazing things that came out of that. So we have lots and lots of stories of both transformation and how this thing is spreading like a virus. Wow, that that's great. So I, I guess the other thing, for, for those of you who are listening, if you're interested, we'll make sure that you can get to the website so you can also sign up for that newsletter, because if there are more stories, I want you to be encouraged with those. John, as I think about this, there may be just one other question I have that, that I wanted to kind of tie a bow on this section with, and that's as you think about what you're doing and the work that goes into it and all of the things that, you're, that you see happening, what is it that most excites you and fuels your passion? I think it's I think it's seeing that we're in a time of this is kind of both this is kind of both scary and exciting at the same time. We're in a time uh, where the the spiritual landscape of the United States is changing in a way that's unlike anything we've ever seen. Uh, research that came out just last summer, a guy named Josh Packard, the sociologist, wrote a mm-hmm. book called Church Refugees, and he discovered that there's now a group of people in America, adults, who are called the Duns, D-O-N-E-S. These are people who were once part of a church, often leaders, but have left and say that they are done with church and they're not going back. 65 million of them. I was stunned at that number. There are also another 7 million who are almost Duns. At the same time that that's happening, there's this mass exodus from institutional churches in the U.S. That's very concerning, very scary in some ways. I think we also can say that America is on its way, maybe it already is there, to becoming um, a post-Christian country. A lot of stuff going on. At the same time, we're seeing just an incredible interest in returning to the New Testament practice of house church. You know, early on, I was always committed to this statement, that Scripture is our authoritative guide for faith and practice. Well, you know, when it dawned on me that the practice of church in Scripture was pretty different from what I'd been trained to do. Every church mentioned in the Bible met in a home, every single one, and they functioned like a small spiritual family, and that was true for at least 200 years. I think we have to begin to take that seriously again. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So with that, we are going to go go ahead and close out this section. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward our listeners. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. I started a new online series called Village Fridays. So if you go to youtube.com slash badmissionary, you can see the Village Friday series. And the whole concept of, behind that was to show people 
show how small amounts of money can make a big difference. I would upload like one week, there would be a, a little baby who had a big rash on it. And I would say, if you'd like, you know, it's 35 bucks to help this baby. I set up a little funding page and I asked people to donate and they would donate. And then the next week I would have like a little thank you sign and say like, thank you to Bob, Marie and John for donating to help this baby. And so we did this and every week we would make the need just a little bit bigger. So one, you know, the first week it's like a baby with a $35 fixable rash. And then it turns into a widow, a, a, a lady with uh, leprosy who needs a roof. And that was closer to $200. And then we, we built a pigsty for a family with AIDS that had, um, you know, they're just unable to work because of, of the disease that they have. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we're back with John White. And frankly, when we, when he was sharing the last couple of stories, there was really, I think, some powerful stuff going on in my life. I just don't know what it was yet. But now we're going to shift our focus more toward you as the listener. So, John, if somebody's listening right now and they're feeling tugged in this direction, maybe they consider themselves done or nearly done, would you suggest that they strike out on their own to start a church of two, assuming that they have two people, or that maybe they get some mentoring and some leadership as they transition? My answer to that, Brian, is yes. <laughs> uh, so I think both things are, are really valuable. Um, if they want to, if they resonate with kind of what I'm sharing about with these two rhythms, uh, they can they can go to our, our website and sign up for Church 101, get started on that, you know, today if they want to. And so it's very simple. It gives, we call it a track to run on. We have a simple little track for people to run on to get started in their own homes, you know, husband and wife, parents and kids, two roommates, whatever the case might be, um, they can get started on that. Um, is it helpful to have some coaching and mentoring? Absolutely. That's always helpful in any area of life, especially spiritually. So a lot of our leaders, the people that, are, that have gone on from Church 101 to Leader 101, we probably have 100 of them so far, uh, those people are available to be a kind of a coach if somebody wants a coach to go through church one-on-one. So I think both of those things are, um, are really helpful. But part of the problem is, and it was true for me, I spent my whole life in the institutional church. I knew how to do that really well. When God put me into a house church, um, you, you can't take the same practices and skills and do them in a, in a house. Uh, a lot of people have tried that. We call that, Honey, I shrunk the church. <laughs> they just take a big church and shrink it down into a house, and it doesn't work very well. So we say house church is like a whole different animal. And so there's some new values and some new practices that you have to learn. And if you, if you do those, the house church becomes really vibrant and uh, joyful and, and exciting. So yes is my answer. <laughs> Okay. And, you know, as I'm, as I'm listening now, I'm just realizing we've referenced your website a few times, and I don't think we've ever actually called it out. Can you give people the address for that? You bet. You'll be shocked to know this. <laughs> the address is lk10.com. So we call ourselves the Luke 10 community because we think in Luke chapter 10, it's the clearest place where Jesus explains his strategy for the expansion of his kingdom. 
So that's why we've adopted that for the name that we call it. So LK10.com. And is there a, a resource or a book or something that you'd be recommending for our listeners? Well, in what area? That's a really good question. For me, it's wide open. Just... <laughs> I have lots of resources. <laughs> <laughs> so based on our conversation today, I think we've talked kind of an overview of Luke 10 and the house church and the rhythms that you have that you're organization has identified and have put into practice. So I think probably putting it something something in that vein, maybe somebody who basically knows as little as I do or maybe even less, what, what would you recommend for them? Well, I, again, what we've tried to do on our website is to make the best resources that we found available. So on the website, there, there are four steps. Um, first step is where I kind of introduce the website. Here's what's going on. The second, number two on there, is you can sign up for the newsletter. Number three, you can sign up for Church 101. Number four, you can sign up for Leader 101. In addition to that, there's a little section called the library, and this contains all the blog posts that we've written. There are videos, there are books that we've reviewed. There's all kinds of resources in there that can help people both in their own walk with Jesus and also this idea of, you know, how, how can I actually do church in my own home in a way that would be really meaningful? So, I'd say go to the library, and there's all kinds of things there. Okay. Yeah, good stuff. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. With that, we're just about done. Is there maybe one last piece of advice and uh, a good way for people to connect with you? Sure. They can certainly connect through the website. Uh, there's an opportunity there if you have questions to click on that, and I'll, I'll respond to that. That's, that's a lot of what I do. You know, I, I'm going to go back to this whole thing of, of listening to the Lord, Brian. And so the question is, you know, asking the Lord, is, what do you want me to be doing in my own home? Is this something you want me to pursue? He tells you to do it. You know, absolutely, you ought to do that. And by the way, a lot of this stuff can happen in an institutional church. We work with institutional churches as well to help them start small groups. We don't care if you call it a house church or whatever. So it can happen there just as well as some autonomous standalone group. So listen to the Lord, see what he says, and do that. That's good. John, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. You bet, Brian. It's a delight to uh, get to know you and be a part of this. Thanks. I'd like to say one more huge thank you to John White. I really appreciated and enjoyed the time that we had together, and I especially enjoyed the idea of every home at church. That's something that I'm continuing to work through and something that I want to see in my life and in my family as well. If you connected with anything that he shared, I would recommend that you check out Luke 10. You'll find a link for that in the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash John White. And not only that link, you'll also have links to the other resources and things that we talked about. One thing I would like to ask of you, if you enjoyed this or if you connected with it, or if you know somebody who you think would find this valuable, please help us get the word out. Just shoot them a note or say something to them or perhaps share it on social media, something to help people that you think would find this valuable connect. We're not just looking for numbers or anything like that. What we really want is that the people who God has prepared for this kind of thing would connect with it at the right time. And we're just asking you to help us with that. 
Make sure that you stop by next week when we're going to hear from a missionary to Malawi who's developed an app that helps us connect with people with specific needs so that we can very quickly meet those needs. And it's not just one of those blanket things where it's a potential need or maybe somebody just scamming you. These are needs presented by missionaries and aid workers with boots on the ground. They know what's going on. This isn't just something where we're throwing money at something and hoping it'll help. These are people that know what's going on, and they're presenting these needs for us. It's really cool because not only can we give a little bit to help that kind of thing out, but we can also stay connected to what God's doing in their lives as they receive the aid or the things that they need. So make sure that you come back next week. I think you're going to love that. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this, along with show notes, by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.